You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. Are you guys enjoying the new series that we're in, the Summit Series? Yeah, for me, it's, it's almost like this amazing opportunity to reflect on so many lessons that God has taught me as, just through the hiking and the mountaineering. It's also been encouraging for me to hear all the testimonies that have come out. As I've been talking about it, I've been hearing testimonies, everything from those in their 90s to those that are down in elementary school. Even had a 12-year-old say, hey, I can understand the sermon this time, Pastor Duane. It's pretty good. So <laughs> out of the mouths of babes come truth. So, so today we're talking about, we've been talking about week one. We assembled the team together, and we talked about how important it is to be a part of a team and to stay together. And then last week in week two, we talked about the climb. We talked about how we climb up and that it's not just a straight shot. That's how people fail, but how we have to acclimate. And we often do the switchback side to side, following Jesus, our Lord, our guide through it. Now, today we're at base camp and we're looking at how we can get to the summit. So to go to the summit today, we have a couple of key verses that I'd like for us to read together. So if you have your Bibles, I have several places, lots of scripture today, but we're going to start at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And many of us, if we've been around her very long, we know this very well. In Matthew 28, starting at verse 16, it reads, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in Hebrews 12, one of my go-to verses, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word that is a light unto our feet. Your word that directs our path. So, Lord, as we talk about the summit today, the place that you're calling us all to go to, Lord, we need your word. We need your truth. So, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me, that your Holy Spirit would be alive in me, flowing through me, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer, my high place. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. So today we're talking about summit. Summit is at a high point. Summit is that point that we all look to, and it's the point that everybody wants to go to. When you talk to a climber who's going out, whether it's Mount Rainier or Mount Kilimanjaro, they talk about the summit. Very few of them talk about the switchbacks. They talk about, where's the summit that we're going to? Because for many, summit represents success, doesn't it? Right? I made it to the summit. Or for some, maybe it's, I didn't make to the summit, and it's something that's very hard for them to deal with. George Mallory, I think one of the most famous mountaineers, as he was climbing Mount Everest, 
A reporter once asked him, you know, Mallory, why do you want to climb Mount Everest? And he famously replied, because it's there. Because it's there. It's almost like asking a kid, why did you jump off that rock? And the kid says, because it's there. Why did you slide in the first? Because it's there. That's illegal. I know that, by the way. I'm not just a hockey guy, okay? Because it's there. It's a prize. But unfortunately, not everyone who sets out to reach the summit makes it. Because, see, the summit is often the ultimate test. The summit is what shows us, did we do what we had to do when we were in the foothills? Did we do the training that we had to do in order to make it? And the summit is that unbiased test of, are you ready? Are you ready to be there? So as we talk about this, and as we think about this analogy of what it takes to summit, there are three things that I want us to hone in on today. Three things as it relates to summit. First of all, in order to summit, the first thing that we need to do is to consider the cost. Everyone say, consider the cost. Consider the cost. Jesus said this, didn't he? We need to recognize that it's challenging, so we need to consider the cost. But secondly, after we consider the cost, we need to be willing to step up and commit. Everyone say, commit. Commit. There you go. You're ready. Let's go. Consider the cost. Commit. But then thirdly, we need to stay together. Stay together. In the words of Rocky, go team. How many Rocky fans we got out there? Okay, that's my next series, Rocky series, okay? I'm joking. It's not my series. Consider the cost. Step up and commit. But if we're to summit, we also need to stay together because team is very important. So this first step, recognizing the cost, consider the cost. Jesus said this in Luke 14 when he said, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, cannot be my disciple. Now, the first time that I heard that, I thought that was very strange. I was like, God, what do you mean I need to let go of my father and my mother and my kids and my spouse and even myself? But see, Jesus is pointing out an important path that it takes to get there, which is surrender, which is the cost of it. Because we are attracted by the reward. We see the summit. We want to get on the summit. We want to do the selfie when we're up on the summit. We want to be up there and tell everybody what we did and what we saw and how it changed us. But in order to get to that place, we need to be willing to pay that cost. It's what we look for. It's what we desire. One of my favorite views is that when I ride down I-5, how many have you heard of I-5? Okay. As I go down I-5 towards Seattle, I love it on a clear day because what do you see on a clear day? You see Mount Rainier. And it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's probably caused a lot of accidents and slowdowns. But for me, it's almost like a flower blooming. When I look and I see it, I'm like, Mount Rainier is in full bloom today, man. It is beautiful. But when we look at it, we fail to see the cost that it takes to get there because the cost is paid not by looking at the summit, but the cost to get there is paid down in the foothills. See, how we behave in the foothills, how we behave on the way up, how we behave in getting to that trailhead, it determines whether or not that we will ever set foot on the summit. Because in the foothills, this is where we learn, this is where we develop the skills, and this is where we build the stamina that it takes to get there. We see the summit, and it's beautiful. But the foothills, the switchbacks the ice fields, the crevasses that we need to get over carefully. All of these things determine whether or not we will ever get to the summit. 
And like every mountain climber will tell you, there are no shortcuts. The shortcuts are paved with death and injury or having to pull back and not be able to summit. This is where everything determines whether or not we'll do it. That's why my porters and my guides, as I was doing Mount Kilimanjaro, do you remember what they kept telling me? Pole, pole. Pole, pole. They didn't sing it. But pole, pole meaning slowly, slowly. It's slow and steady because you're saying what? You've got to get there slowly, step by step. Follow the guide. Allow your body to acclimate. Because they knew that unless we did that, we would never make it. Because there was a day coming when the test was going to come due. And that test day was called Summit Day. See, Summit is the hardest day of the climb. Many of us, we love going to REI and buying all the stuff. How many of you love shopping? See, some people are attracted to mountaineering because they love the shopping. I get some new clothes. I get some new boots. I get a new hat. I got a new crispy map. But it's not about that. Some of us are attracted to even the bus ride up to the trailhead. We get to talk to people. We get to show the big makeup case that we're taking with us up to the top. (laughs) If you were part of that sermon last week. But Summit Day is where all is revealed. Summit Day reveals, have we paid the cost? And this reminds me of that great quote that I quoted by Dallas Willard last week. Where Dallas Willard said, we cannot behave on the spot as Jesus did and the rest of our time live like everybody else does. See, we cannot behave, we cannot get to summit day and and try to, okay, now I'm going to start acting like Jesus. Now I'm going to be his disciple. Now I'm going to surrender. If we spent the rest of the climb ignoring him, there's no on the spot, boom, it just happens. As I was looking back and thinking about Kilimanjaro, I actually came across a site that had the top reasons for not summiting Kilimanjaro. You guys want to hear those? Yeah. Top reasons for not... One person does. I'm going to read for him. <laughs> top reasons for not summiting Kilimanjaro. And I refrain from pulling out my best David Letterman this morning, okay? But here's the top reasons. The number one reason that guide services lay out for not summiting is because you chose the wrong guide. The number one reason for not summiting Kilimanjaro is because you chose the wrong guide. Is every guide a good guide? Is every guy a good guy? <laughs> right? Every guide is not a good guide. There are people willing to take your money, and they're like, man, I'll give you a better deal. What did that guide charge you? I'll do it for half. Beware. <laughs> beware, beware. This is what they said. They said, we state over and over that the single most important decision you make is what guide you climb with. This made me think of the Proverbs in 14 where it says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right. That's why Jesus said that there's only one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the guide that you choose will determine whether or not you will summit, whether it's Kilimanjaro or in this life. There's a right guide, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's a wrong guy that said, is Jesus way too hard for you? I can get you there. Is Jesus too expensive? I can get you there cheaper. It doesn't work out that way. The number two reason for not summoning Kilimanjaro was altitude sickness. 
In other words, and a lot of this comes back to the guide, they didn't allow their body to acclimate. And this requires a longer route, taking your time. Do we like longer routes? No. Longer routes have confused couples for years when they've been on road trips. Right? We don't like longer routes. We don't like the scenic view. But time and time again, when you look at Scripture, what did God do with people that he was trying to train, to develop, to strengthen? He took them on these long routes. And I think sometimes we look to God and we say, God, why is this taking so long? Why is it so hard? Why am I going back and forth like this? I see it right there. Can you not just, just not take me straight up there? Can you not teleport me or transport me or some kind of sci-fi thing and just get me there now? Have you ever prayed that to God? You want it now and you want it here. But God's saying, you're not ready. You can't survive that altitude. Because unless you take that long route, unless you're willing to put in and allow your body, allow yourself to acclimate to it, you will not make it. You will not survive. Pulmonary edema will set in. The number three reason for not summiting is not eating or drink enough. Now think about that. I've never had somebody look at me and say, Dwayne, you, you don't eat enough. Except on Kilimanjaro. Because here's why. The higher that you go, the more calories that you need and the more water that you need. See, at this level, I'm eating more than enough. (laughs) I'm drinking more than enough water. But when I get on the mountain, when I start going up, your body needs more and more energy, more and more water, just to perform the basic functions. Just to perform the basic functions. And what happens is the higher we go, even though our body needs more, our body demands more. Do you know what happened to my appetite? My appetite went down. It's one of those rare times in my life my appetite went down. Seriously. And my body needed more. I had to literally go to breakfast and go to those times of eating, and I was almost forcing myself to eat. I thought I was going to get sick. Eating became a chore. But my guy kept telling me, if you don't eat enough, if you don't drink enough, you will not make it. You need that nourishment. Have you ever been there in your walk with God? Where in the beginning you're excited. I'm a new Christian. I'm following him. I can't get enough of his word. And then you get to a certain point and all of a sudden you're not as hungry for his word anymore. Is it just me? Am I the only one confessing truth today? (laughs) That works in my life too. When I hit something new, I am diving into the Word of God. But when I start getting comfortable, oftentimes my desire, I'm talking about me, not hypothetically, Pastor Dwayne, sometimes his desire for the Word of God drifts down a little bit. Am I still your pastor? Because what happens, you get comfortable and you start not eating the way you should. You're not drinking in the way you should. When God's saying, look, we're not done yet. We're just on a switchback. I'm getting ready to take you higher. Will you dive into the word of God? Will you absorb it? When it's tough, will you dig in and study it? Will you get in a group to study the word of God? Will you ask me? Will you lay it bare before me and say, God, what does this mean? Because I'm taking you higher. I'm getting you ready for that next step. You need to be eating more of the word of God. You need to be drinking it in. Because man does not live by bread alone, do they? but by every word that pours forth from the mouth of God. This is how we live. This is how we function. We need it. That's why the psalmist wrote, my heart longs for you. My flesh cries out for the living God. 
David was going through a lot of switchbacks. David was going through a lot of times where he needed God. And we're in that same position. Because see, nowhere on this list of reasons why people didn't summit Kilimanjaro, it never said that they didn't have the right REI boots. They didn't have the right scarf. I couldn't find anywhere where someone said they didn't summit Mount Kilimanjaro because they lost their sunglasses. Satellites do that all the time. It's not about that stuff. Do you need boots? Yes, you need boots. Do you need the right jacket? Yes, you need the right jacket. But more than that, we need to be following the right God. We need to be acclimating. We need to allow his word to be in us, drinking it and being alive in it. And we need to be together. We need to be together. This is the cost of it. It's not about getting a bigger backpack. It's about saying, God, what is the cost? Then the cost is surrendering. Jesus was very clear. He laid it out, didn't he? Forsake mother, forsake father, forsake your spouse, forsake your sister, your brother, your friends. Jesus alone is who we need. This is the cost. We need to surrender and obey our guide. So that's the first part. We need to surrender, count the cost. But then in counting the cost and seeing the cost, we need to do that next step, which is to step up and commit. Step up and commit. Hebrews says this. Hebrews 12 says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So how do we make it? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, casting aside every weight, every hindrance. See, one of the things that my guide kept saying over and over again to all of us, but he would whisper it to me sometime. He would say, you got everything you need. You can do it. You follow me. You got everything you need. Isn't that how Jesus speaks to us? You follow me, you have everything you need. Follow me, I will walk with you. I will show you what this means for you. Because see, the question is not, can you do it? Jesus would never call you to do anything that you couldn't do. The question is, will you do it? And this was the same question that our guide said to us on summit morning at midnight. He said to all of us, he said, the question, you've gotten this far, the question is not, can you do it? The question is, will you do it? It's up here, it's in here. Will you do what it takes to get there? See, when we're with Jesus, we have everything that we need. That's why Jesus told us over and over again, he said, you'll even do greater things than these. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We've been made more than conquerors. It even says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be moved, and the mountain will be moved. Is that exciting to you this morning, or is this all still in the land of theory for you guys? This is real. This is true. This is the truth of God. Will you do it? But sometimes we look at it, and we say, Lord, I don't have the faith. And we want to give up. Why would we look at it and want to give up? In the foothills, we started with so much energy, so much faith. And then we get to some and we say, I'm ready to give up. I believe it's because we often grow weary. There's a common line through the, throughout the Bible that says, do not grow weary in well-doing. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in the writing of Paul. This constant reminder, do not grow weary. We see it in Galatians. We see it in the Corinthians and the Thessalonians. We see it in Isaiah, and, we, and then we see it in Hebrews. And it says, do not grow weary in well-doing. And it always comes with a promise. And you know what the promise is? 
If we don't grow weary in well-doing, we will reap a harvest. We will renew our strength, Isaiah says. There's a reward that comes with it. See, struggle is often the great surprise, and I think sometimes we're surprised by how long the struggle is. I was going back through my Kilimanjaro journal, and I was, and I was reading some of the things I wrote, and every day it was like, man, I thought day one was supposed to be easy. This was a hard day for me. Day one. That was the day they said it would be easy. Day two. Man, today was hard. <laughs> day three. You know what I said? Today is hard. See, we're often surprised by the struggle. We're looking for that relief, but God is saying, I'm getting you ready. I'm getting you ready. You just wait. I know what you're going to need on summit day. You need to be there. You need to allow me to renew your strength. See, we need encouragement because we grow weary. How many weary people out there? Have you ever been weary? Okay. We need encouragement. So how does Jesus encourage us? He puts us together in a team. Jesus puts us together because he knows that the enemy's main tactic is to wear us down. Satan tried to do that to Jesus in the wilderness, to wear him down, to get him tired. That's been his tactic from the beginning of time. So because our Father loves us, he puts us in family and he sets us up. And he says, you know what? I'm going to send you reinforcements. I'm going to send you reinforcements. That's one of the things I love about Shoreline Community Church, that God has sent me, God has sent you, all of us together, reinforcements to help us when we get weary. And through this series, I've been pulling in testimonies. And so today, I want to bring you some of my very, some of our very best reinforcements when it comes to walking with people who are going through sexual addiction. This is the ministry team for Pure Desire this morning. I told you I wouldn't cry, but I can't, because I love these guys so much. Would you welcome up the Pure Desire team today? Yeah. All right, guys, spread on out. Amen. I am so proud of this team. This is a team that has stepped out and said, you know what? We are going to do whatever it takes to walk alongside of people. Walk alongside of people. So Keith, why are you so passionate about Pure Desire Ministry? Yeah. The reason I love this ministry is because it, it deals with sexual bondage in all forms. And it promotes a, a holistic and healthy view of sexuality that the world, the flesh, the devil is, is constantly coming against. Um, I remember I, I was first invited to a Conquer Series group um, about four years ago by a friend. And I remember thinking, you know, I don't think this group is for me. For one, I, I did not struggle with a pornography addiction. And when I, you know, I first learned about pornography when I was about 12 years old. It's something I stayed away from. I didn't mess with, partly I just knew it was wrong, harmful, but just by the grace of God, it wasn't something I struggled with. And yet, God was still calling me to go to this group. It was pretty clear indications that just along the way. And so I went. And after going through the series, I realized that the material applied to me. Not because of a porn addiction, but because I realized I had a flawed view of sexuality, of intimacy. I realized I was in an emotional bondage from a past relationship that I hadn't healed from. And the principles and the truths from 
this series um, applied to my situation. Uh, I just, I wish I had known about this um, ministry back when I was in college or even high school, uh, not just for my sake, but because I had so many friends that struggled and I didn't know how to help them. And I feel like this ministry has given me the tools that I needed to apply really the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in a very clinical way um, and in community really to bring uh, healing from past wounds and freedom from bondage. I know it's not the only way to deal with these issues, but I found it's a very well thought out, well researched um, way that's helped me. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Next up, we have Daniel and Tiffany. I've known Daniel since way back in the day, we used to call him Sparky because we'd send him up through the roof to adjust all the lights for us. <laughs> Is it okay that I divulge that? Okay. <laughs> so, so, Daniel, how has Pure Desire helped you? Uh, Pure Desire has helped me. Well, I'll start off by letting you know a little bit about my story. Um, I found myself at a, a young age... Uh, affected by the sin of this world and the sin nature that we all have. Um, This led me to uh, basically at a young age being affected. And before uh, my parents were prepared to do any conversations on sexual topics, I was just struggling with coping sexually. Um, By the time they did, it was already too late, you know, a lot of times this catches parents off guard how early this can kind of start for a young individual. Through my teen years, I led kind of a double life. I was at church keeping kind of the kind of look of a good Christian, and but in my private life, I was secretly just in sin, really struggling, all while promising myself that I would conquer this, you know, tomorrow, you know, the next day, and it never happened. It just knocked me down over and over again. I even reached out to some people in the church and my youth leaders, and they were able to give me accountability and prayer, but what I found is this inflicted more shame because I continued to fail accountability and I found prayer sometimes to be ineffective. Um, as I approached my mid-20s, a kind of crossroads began between this secret life and my public life. And I reached out one last time to the lead pastor, the then lead pastor of this church, Bob Stone. And he put me in touch with a peer desire group. And the reason why Pure Desire provided something that was missing from sometimes those accountability groups was that it gave the tools and tactics to help deal with the shame and traumas that power addictions. We're all sometimes coping with some pain of the past or something that's happened to us, and that can come out in addictions. And the the tools that it kind of gave were the grace of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the knowledge of how addictions affect one's mind. And with these, I'm glad to be standing here free of that daily bondage that held me. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Oh. Okay. 
sorry, you guys are going to have to bear with me a little bit. <laughs> so how has Pure Desire helped us? Well, if you know Daniel and I, we are 100% sure that if it hadn't been for Pure Desire, we wouldn't be together today or married. Um, Daniel first told me when we began dating that he was in Pure Desire and what that truly meant. And my response was something akin to, that's great, as long as you have accountability and help, it's fine, but I don't really need to know, and it's not going to affect me. And then six months down the road, we really had some tough conversations about how this issue was affecting our relationship. And that was really where the rubber hit the road for us, because I couldn't understand. And I was so hurt, and I believed what society had said, which was, this is just a porn issue, or this is just a sexual addiction issue, and you should just be able to stop. But Pure Desire is great because it walks these guys through really deep uh, deep topics and issues to help them heal wounds and traumas and help them learn to cope in healthy ways. It was at that time that a woman here at Shoreline reached out to me and asked me to join the spouses and girlfriends support group through Pure Desire Ministries called Betrayal and Beyond. And the great thing about Betrayal and Beyond is that you as a spouse or girlfriend, as I was, walk through your own healing and your own sins and your own hurts, um, learning all in the while what these guys are going through. Because let's be honest, all of us are human. All of us have something, whatever it is. Um, And so it was really that Pure Desire Ministries allowed us together to run towards Jesus for healing individually, but also as a couple. And we had a band of sisters and brothers around us in Christ under the blood of Jesus that was able to allow us to continue on as a couple. And so if any of you as guys are struggling, if this even touches your life, whether it's a temptation or an addiction, whatever, please reach out to these gentlemen. And ladies, if you are a girlfriend or a spouse of a guy who struggles with this, please do not hesitate to reach out to me because you are not alone. And we are living proof that this can save your marriage and it can change your life. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) And all the way down the end, we have Daniel Brooks. Daniel Brooks. Yeah, Daniel. Daniel is part of so many ministries here, and Dan, I think this is a great question for you to answer. So we've been talking about this. So who is Pure Desire for? Who is Pure Desire? Who who should go to this ministry? Pure Desire is for uh, men in all walks of life, Uh, whether it's um, the more obvious uh, man who's struggling with uh, sexual addictions and is ruining his life, he's hurt people, and just feels out of control, or it could also be for... The person is just curious, um, seeing how sexual addiction has impacted society and how to help people who are struggling with it. Or it could be people like me who struggled with this for years without even knowing there was a name for it, didn't even realize what the the struggle was about. You see, to kind of give my story, when I was younger, in my teenage years, I had a really hard time making and um, keeping friends. I always felt like the outsider and always had this feeling of loneliness. And so um, sexual fantasies, pornography, and the like became my escape. And it uh, began to have just this huge hold on my life as that replacement. Now, it it resulted, now I knew it was wrong, um, but I didn't want to let it go. And since no one really talked about it, no one asked me, and uh, I was afraid of being judged, I never talked about it. It was my secret. And that ended up 
resulting in me living two separate lives. One life where I was a good Christian, I did all things outwardly, but inwardly I was living a life of sin and I knew it and it just broke me. And time and time again, I would promise to God, I'm going to break free of this. I will, um, I'll give this to you. I'll let go. But time and time again, it kept falling back into it. I couldn't understand why. And it started affecting me on a deeper level. I became secretive, uh, timid, and judgmental of others. And just kind of being this um, isolated person. But that kind of changed like three years ago when I received an invitation um, to go to Pure Desires. It was there that I finally got a name to what I was struggling with, sexual addiction. And it was there that I learned how my past hurts and the secrets I was keeping, the lies I told myself were feeding and binding me to this addiction. And it was here that I was able to work with other men who were going through the exact same struggle and knew exactly what was happening to me. And we were able to have have that accountability, those talks, and that growth time. And now here, three years later, uh, being through this um, process, I'm just working with these other young men. I have seen huge changes in my life. I feel that this um, sexual addiction, which bound my life for so long, is I'm finally free from it. It's no longer defining who I am. And with God's help, I can finally see that end where I am completely free from this um, addiction. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. I, I want to thank you guys for your bravery to come up and to be vulnerable. Strong teams ask for help. When you look at strong teams, whether it's in corporate America or in churches, wherever you go, teams that don't ask for help are very weak because it takes a team. And I'm so proud of you guys for stepping up today. And I want to encourage you, as you've listened to this today, you you need to recognize that in our culture today, four out of five men struggle and are addicted to pornography. Four out of five. And it used to be with the ladies that it was much less, but ladies are now getting ready to pass that stat. And that stat is going younger and younger and younger in our high schools and our elementary schools. It, It is everywhere. It is a tactic of the enemy. That's why I wanted to take this time today to bring you up and to say, we are walking together in this. We are going to help each other. Amen? Amen. We're going to walk this together, and we're going to say, Satan, no more. And we do that as we gather around the Word of God, and we gather in these groups, and we take away the shame. God does not shame us. Satan shames us. God comes in and says, your sins are forgiven. Now let's walk out of this together. Let's be delivered from this. And it requires that we walk together and that we have wonderful ministries like this. So guys, thank you so much for your honesty and thank you so much. I believe that today is marking a day of healing, not just for all of you, but for all of us as we walk through it. If you want to know more about this, we are, there is a Conquer Series class that is starting next this coming Wednesday over in the Hub at 6.30. Conquer Series is is. is, is for anybody if you're battling it if you want more information about it or you have a friend who's walking through it so it's not self-identifying by you walking through it but you go you know what i want to learn more about it join us over in the hub at 6 30 as we walk through this to learn more about it amen amen so we hope to see you there let's hear it up for these wonderful people today thank you guys
There's no better illustration than how important it is for this last point that we need to stay with the team. God has made us to be together. That's why it says at the beginning of Hebrews in 12, it says, since you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Did you see that? Hebrews 12, 1, since you are surrounded, this morning, we are surrounded by a host of witnesses. Now, who are these witnesses that are being referred to by the writer of Hebrews? Well, we see this back in chapter 11, where it says he lists off the people that are, are watching, the witnesses, witnesses like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel and Daniel. These are the people that are surrounding us saying, keep going, be together, walk in the faith that he has. And you'll find out what it says there in verse 33. It says, all of these people who through faith, they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, they were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war, and they even put foreign armies to flight. And in verse 35 it says, women even received back from their dead by resurrection. Does that encourage you this morning? Or am I just pumping myself up here today? This is the walk of God when we stay together. And what they're saying is that there's a crowd of witnesses saying, I've been there, I've done it, trust God, and see what will happen. Are there lions in your life? For the power of God, they, those mouths will be shut. How many of you have some lions you just want to say, shut up? Nobody? The mouths are opening, and you're saying, shut it in the name of Jesus. These are the witnesses that are surrounding us saying, let's go, let's stay together, let's walk in God. Because see, again, we need to realize that the higher that we go, the harder it's going to get. The higher the altitude, the more difficult it becomes. It becomes harder to walk, as we talked about. It becomes harder to eat. It becomes harder to drink. And this is where people start dropping off. It becomes very difficult the higher you go. I even had a friend who was going with me, a friend that recruited me for this climb. One of the things that people were doing is that when we would stop, our guys would get very nervous because we'd say, we, we got to stop for a rest. Like, no, we got to keep going. But then sometimes we would just stop and people would start falling asleep because the altitude was so high, the air was so thin. I had one friend that kept falling asleep and I was like, wake up, wake up. And he said, you know what? The next time I fall asleep, I want you to slap me as hard as you can. I said, Really? So he fell asleep. Guess what I did? Because I love him, I slapped him. But guess what? He made it. He's saying, don't let me fall asleep. Do whatever it takes. I gave him that same permission, but after I said that, I stayed awake. <laughs> because, see, you have to decide what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? This is why we need each other. Because sometimes we fall asleep. Sometimes we need somebody to come up and say, you need to eat right now. You need to drink right now. You need to know that you can make it right now. It may not seem like it, but you can make it. I remember in Kilimanjaro, as we were going up to Summit Day, we left the jungles far below. We left all the trees. We left even the strong path. There was no distinguishable path the closer that we got. And we hit these big scree fields of just rocks that you would take a step, and as you would push down, it would feel like you were sliding down the mountain. You would find yourself scrambling on all fours in this scree field just trying to make it. 
My wife Stephanie saw a video that someone took of us, of us climbing up there. And as we're going down in, in the jungle, we're looking around going, man, there's a monkey over there. Look, at this is beautiful. But when we got up to, to the scree field, we were literally walking like this. This is maximum speed. And we would take a step and we would fall down. And it took every effort just to lift the foot. Have you been there? Every bit of effort in you. That's why in days like this, you need your people around you. See, on Summit Day, we stayed very close to each other. We started off at midnight in the dark. It was freezing. I was reading my journal this morning from Summit Day. And my first words were, so cold, so cold. And that's from a a Canadian. So cold. About an hour into the climb, all my water froze. It was freezing. I needed my people. I needed my friends around me. Because when you have your friends, you can make it. This was the story of our own Lacey Olafson. Lacey, thank you for allowing me to share this testimony today for you. Lacey writes this. She says, this picture... And we have a picture here from it, I believe. This is Lacey here, right? It says, this picture sums up the past eight months of this year. She said, sometimes you are the one, me, in the middle, crawling on all fours, trying to climb up a snowfield called life. For the past eight months, I've battled depression, anxiety, panic attacks, heartbreak, and disappointments. But as I put one hand in front of the other, slipping at a time, sliding back down again, I never gave up. I wanted to give up and hide from the devastation, but I didn't. She continues and says, little did I know the people who surrounded me would be what I needed to have the strength to keep going, to keep fighting my way up the snowfield. Being in the Alpine has taught me when the conditions get tough, you keep pushing through and stand like a lupin. If you don't know what a lupin is, ask Lacey. She's a scientist. She can tell you. (laughs) Agriculture taught me good soil anchors the roots, and those roots grow deeper for hard times. And then she writes, mostly, I learned hard climbs bring you to the most beautiful places. Isn't that amazing? The hard times, they bring you to the most beautiful places. That's our path. That's our strengthening, because we need strengthening. I need strengthening, and I need to yield because we know that the darkest night is just before the dawn. Have you heard that before? The darkest night is just before the dawn. I've seen so many people give up right where they they were on the verge of the greatest success of their life. When they were just right there, they thought they couldn't go on. And I'm going, God, what if they were surrounded by people to encourage them? What if they were surrounded by people who would say, you know what, you can make it. You can get up there. And I'm going to walk with you. This is why we need team. This is why we need to be together. And as we wrap this this up today, as I was thinking about this whole idea of team, it brought me back to one of the things that I had on my backpack, which is this. Do you know what this is? It's carabiner. What does a carabiner do? It hooks you in. The carabiner becomes very important because when you're feeling down, when you feel like you're sliding down that snowfield, 
It's the carabiner that links you on and says, I'm committed to this. See, the carabiner, it hooks you in, and it's your safety. So that when you fall, you're hooked in. But no one else can hook this in for you. You need to commit and to take it and reach out and go, I'm locking in. I'm committing to this. This is your safety line. It keeps you safe. It keeps you from falling. But not only that, the carabiner provides a way for others to help you. Because when you get next to your brother or you get next to your sister and go, you know what? Can I link in (laughs) with you? It provides a way for someone to know because when someone is linked into you and you're going up on that summit day, what happens if the person behind you falls? You feel it, don't you? When you're linked into somebody else and they take their carabiner and they hook it into you, when they fall, you feel it. And what do you do? You brace yourself. And everything in you is going, I am not going to let them fall. This is what God has called us to do. We're following Christ. We're walking with him. But he's called us to be together as a body of Christ and go, are we committed? Are we going to stand strong? Are we going to do what God has called us to do? So as we respond to this today, over at the prayer walls, we have a basket. And inside of them, we have a whole bunch of these little carabiners. And my challenge to you today, if you're saying, you know what, I'm I'm, going to hook up today. I'm going to link in today. I'd like for you to get up and step out and go over and take one of those. And whether you use it for your keys, whatever you do, every time you look at it, I want you to go, you know what? I am connected to the body of Christ. Who's the head of the body of Christ? Jesus. Our Lord, our Savior, the one who leads us, the one who guides us, the one who sustains us, who forgives us. Let it be that reminder. And then as you're there, you're standing right in front of the prayer wall. What a great place to ask yourself these questions. And these questions are in your listening, God, but just ask yourself, where is the cost difficult or surprising me? Where am I having a hard time paying the cost that Jesus is calling me to? Ask yourself, where am I growing weary and well-doing? attack of the enemy to wear you down why am I tired and then that brings us to the answer am I connected to team I'm tired I'm weary I need to hook up to somebody I need to be connected to friends maybe for you it's going to pure desire this coming Wednesday night maybe it's going to celebrate recovery on Wednesday night Maybe it's going to our venture group. Maybe it's going to the Oasis group. Maybe it's going to all these Bible studies, the parents of teens group, the married. We have groups going on almost every night now. Find a group. If you can't find a group, come to me and say, Pastor, I need, I need, to, I need to find a group. Can you help me? But no one is an island. Can we all stand together today? Father, we thank you for your love. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, you are preparing us. You are strengthening us. You're testing us, trying us. And Lord, I pray that today would be the day that we say, I am committing to this. Loving God requires that I love my neighbor, the person next to me. It requires that I connect to your body, the body of Christ. 
Help us to walk forward in boldness. Reveal to us, Holy Spirit, speak to us. And give us the boldness to step out and say, I need help. It's a sign of strength that we ask for help, I pray. In your name. In your name. Over by the walls, we have our prayer team members. They'd love to pray with you. We have communion stations set up. Engage, respond, find a way to respond. Let's respond to the word of the Lord today.